there is one who has the right to judge you. There is one who is in authority over you. There is one who you will stand before on judgment day and give account for your life, give account for your deeds, and give account for your faith. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as judge. Now, I have struggled much in my life with submitting in certain areas to God and seeing him as an authority in my life. And so it's been a constant process of sanctification where God has had to convict me, discipline me. I've had to repent. So there's many areas where I've submitted to God and I've allowed him to be the authority in my life. There's many areas as a follower of Jesus that he's still working on me that I have to submit and give him control and realize that he's the authority in my life. But I want to share one story because over my life and over my years of following Jesus, I've been under the delusion at times that I am the final authority, that I have the final say. And especially in this culture too, we think we are the final authority if we say it goes. So for those of you who know me, you know that I am the slowest driver in America. The second slowest driver, if you will. My father-in-law is the only one who drives slower than me. I have actually got pulled over for slowing. Yes, I was dating Natalie, caught up with a beauty before we got married, driving down Route 1, and the sirens are behind me. I get pulled over, the car pulls over, said, you're going too slow, speed it up. That's how slow I go. But unbelievably, I've got three speeding tickets. I always somehow end up going about 30 miles per hour, then ending up in a school zone. I see no kids, school isn't out yet. And a cop pulls me over and gives me a speeding ticket. You'd think I would have learned. But on one particular time, it's been about 8 to 10 years since I got a speeding ticket. One particular time it frustrated me. I'm not a road raging guy. I leave that up to my wife. I just let people go. I don't care. I'm just driving. I'm thinking about everything and everything else. I just drive. It's a time for me to relax. But this guy, this cop, I was in Lynn, in the city of Sin, driving down Eastern Ave., and um, this cop's in the street, and he points to me and tells me to point, pull over. I said, well, what could he possibly? I'm, I'm going 30 miles an hour. He says, you just drove into a school zone. I said, this is so ridiculous because I'm the slowest driver in America. How can I keep getting speeding tickets? So frustrated, I said, enough's enough. This guy didn't have me with the gun. He didn't shoot me with the um, speed gun. There's no way he could have known how fast I was going. I said, I'm the authority. I know what really happened. I'm going into that court like Matlock. I'm aging myself. But like Matlock, I'm giving my case. I'm standing, I'm standing up and I'm not telling that judge what's up and they're going to get rid of this speeding ticket. I get all ready. In my mind, I'm going in there. There's no way that I'm getting a speeding ticket. I'm wa- walking out. They're going to pardon me. Everything's all set. I sit down. I'm my own lawyer. And it, it was really more of a court scene than I expected it to be for a ticket. So the judge is there. The cop's sitting down like a witness. I'm like, this is, this is way too serious for my liking. But I said, still had the confidence. I said, when they come to me, I'm going to ask him, did you have a speed gun when you clocked me? What? Speed gun, radar gun? Wow, I got, I got reprimanded in the middle of my message from, from my wife. Radar gun. Don't want to get that wrong. <laughs> 
And so I said, did you have a radar gun? And he said, yes. That's all he said. So I got a little worked out because I felt that's what you're supposed to do when you're defending yourself, right? I said, you didn't use a radar gun. The judge said, number one, you sit down because you just stood up. And he said, he did. That's what he says. That's what it is. He said, you got anything else to say? I guess not. I said, I guess I'm not the authority in this courtroom. In the same way, sometimes we think that we are the final authority in this life. That we are the ones who are going to judge the living and the dead. That what we say goes. It's quite the contrary. What Jesus says goes. He is the final authority. He is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Who will judge each of us individually. And let me tell you this. That's a good thing. That's not something to be afraid of. If there's a judge whose court you want to be in, it's the court of Jesus, the loving Savior who died on the cross for his people so they could be pardoned from judgment. So as we hear this text today and as we read through these scriptures, I want you to be encouraged that Jesus is the judge and see that God is revealing through Jesus, through the word become flesh, that there is a judgment And that part of God's nature is he is a righteous judge. That because he is holy, because he is just, he has to judge wickedness. He has to judge sin. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross. So let's turn to John 5, 19. Verse 19 we'll start in. And um, we'll just continue in our sermon series called The Defiant Incarnation. So I'm going to start with just verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So we know that Jesus was a rabbi, and this was the language of the rabbis. They would say, Truly, truly, I'm saying this to you. This meant that what they were about to say carried great weight and significance. And he's saying this to say he is not just doing this of his own motivation. We know that God was the hypostatic union, fully God and fully man. It wasn't just because of human motivation that Jesus was doing this. He was doing this in accord, in unity with the Father. That it's not so much of an imitation, but more like an uninterrupted communion that resulted in Two persons who share the same nature. What the Father does, the Son does. What the Son does, the Father does. He is saying to the religious leaders at the time, everything you see me do, that's what the Father is up to. And everything that I'm up to, that's what the Father is doing. They are so unified, they are so together, that every act and every word of Jesus is the action and the words of God himself. It's an assertion of his divinity. And this is what we are studying in this book. We are seeing in this gospel that Jesus is calling himself God. And that's why he was crucified. That's one of the major things that upset the religious leaders of that time. What they say, it says you are blaspheming God because you are putting yourself on the same level as God. And we see in verse 18, it says that. Jesus is putting himself 
on the same level as God. He's equal in authority to God. And he's in a relationship as son with God, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh to die for the sins of the world. Let's read on in verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Now, the relationship between these two persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son, is filled with love. And the tense used in this verse is letting us know that it's a habitual, constant, continual love that is flowing onto the Son. And part of that relationship is that God the Father is constantly revealing things to the Son. There's constant revelation going on between the Father and the Son, and that revelation is going to Jesus, who is divine, and going out to the people. And he's saying, you think you have seen great works? You're going to marvel at the works that you are going to see. And he's speaking specifically about his works of being a life giver and the judge. He said, you guys think you've seen something? You haven't seen anything yet. That as the Father is revealing himself through me, you're going to marvel because I am the life giver and I am the judge. Moving on, let's read verse 22 and 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Actually, I'm sorry, I missed the verse there. Let's go to verse 21 first. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, the religious leaders knew God as the life giver. You go through Deuteronomy, you go through 1 Samuel, you go through um, 2 Kings. You see the revelation that God takes people down to Sheol or the grave or to the realm of the dead, and he raises them up. So all the religious leaders knew that God was the life giver, that he had the power of life and death. But what Jesus is saying now, he's saying that I am the life giver, just like my father. That in the same way the almighty God, Yahweh, the way they knew him, was a life giver, that Jesus himself was a life giver. And in this context, he's he's speaking of something that's happened presently. We know that many people can be alive, as Ephesians teaches us, walking around in body, but they can be spiritually dead. And what Christ did by coming to earth is he was making people spiritually alive in himself. He was making them what we spoke of in John 3. He was making them born again. They were spiritually alive in Christ. They were reconciled to the Father. The Holy Spirit now dwelled inside of them. So Jesus didn't come just to live a good moral life. He came to bring life to people and to raise them from the dead spiritually to redeem a people who would be alive in him. This would have blown their mind once again because he's putting himself on an equal plane with God the creator, the beginning and the end. He is saying that he is God. Now, we already read verse 22 and 23. The tone moves moves from life giver to that of judgment. Once again, the religious leaders knew that God was the judge. He would judge the living and the dead on the final day. 
But now Jesus is saying that he is the judge. Imagine, put yourself in their place. They are already plotting to kill this rabbi. That's why we're calling it the defiant incarnation. Jesus upset a lot of religious leaders. You don't murder people on a cross that you like. He upset them. He was defying their parameters of what the Messiah should be and even what a rabbi should be. And now he is putting himself above them and saying he is the authority. He is the judge just like God is the judge. And he has authority over them. This would have upset them tremendously. Now, I've read a lot of prominent liberal theologians that won't even put Jesus' name in the same sentence as being the judge. This is because people think that authority and judgment is a bad thing. Okay? When I hear, when certain people hear the police sirens in their town, in their city, it scares them. They say, that's horrible. The authority is out, man. When I was an idiot in high school, I called it the po-po. I said, it's the po-po. I'm sorry I even share that. I feel, I feel ashamed. But criminals don't like the sounds of the authority. When you're a criminal, you hate the sound of sirens. You hate law enforcement. You hate that there's authority over you. But when you're a law-abiding citizen, I love the fact that there's law enforcement in my town. When I hear the sirens, I say, I'm raising a family in this town. I'm glad there's authorities and law enforcement in place to protect my family. That's not a bad thing. Authority and judges are not a bad thing. There's something I look forward to. Now, I talked to a woman this week, and I'm sure she's a great woman, and I won't say her name, and it's none of you. But she is one of those ladies that, and it's probably coming down from her religious leaders or from her church, everything's the end times. I was like, yeah. I was telling my partner, who's in business with me, is also a Christian man, and we work together, we're both licensed electrician. And she said, I was going to talk to you about Jesus. And she said, do you think it's almost over? Or something like that. Do you think he's coming back soon? It's almost here, but like in a scary way. It was like a horror movie. She said, what do you think about him coming back soon? I said, honestly, it's something I'm looking forward to. I said, I don't know the day. This lady had been collecting cans of beans in Poland Springs since the 1970s. But I said to myself, I don't know. I know it's closer than yesterday. But it's something I'm looking forward to. Jesus comes back. I mean, only the Father knows the time of the day. We know it's scriptural to believe that the Messiah is going to return and establish a new creation, um, a new earth, new heavens. When I hear that trumpet or when Jesus comes back, that's not a sound that I'm afraid of. That's something I'm looking forward to. Now, if you're a criminal, if you've rejected Jesus as Lord, if you haven't repented of your sin and accepted free grace from God, that's something that I would definitely be afraid of because the authorities are here. The judge is here. That's a good thing for those who have put their trust in him. But those who rejected their authority, that's something to be afraid of. So you, as followers of Jesus Christ... You want authority in your life. You want this righteous judge who loves you. Because the amazing, amazing thing is the same person who will judge the living and the dead, the God-man Jesus, is the same one who came to earth to die for his creation and is pleading with us to accept his free gift of salvation. When's the last time you heard a judge plead with the criminal to accept the free pardon? 
How loving can a judge be that he actually not only says accept the free pardon, but he says, I paid the punishment that was yours to bear. Who wouldn't want a judge like that? We need not be afraid of God as judge because he is a righteous, perfect judge. Every trial is fair. Every motive is pure. There's no false convictions. It's always righteous. It's always pure. It's always holy. It's awesome. Let's read on what Jesus tells us more in that vein of what I was saying. In verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passed, but has passed from death to life. Once again, he's saying, I came. And we read this in John 3. So you don't have to be judged in that way. So you don't have to be condemned. So you don't have to be punished. Whoever hears my word, and this is interesting, and believes in him who sent me. So Jesus is usually always the object of faith. Put your faith in Jesus for salvation. Absolutely theologically sound. But in this case, it's saying, put your faith in him who sent me. This is to show us how close the relationship is between the Father and the Son, between the triune God, the Trinity, three persons who exist eternally, yet are one God. He's saying everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. And presently, eternal life starts when you accept Jesus into your being, when you accept him into your heart, when he makes you alive in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you just pass from death into life. That is powerful. That is awesome stuff. That is a gracious God. And we're going to read this next, these next four verses together. Verses 25 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he himself has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus is speaking about Two things there. He's speaking about he's going to be making people alive during that time, but he's also speaking about a final judgment. Now, we don't like to talk about death in our culture, do we? We don't because we're afraid of it, because it's a tough thing, because we've lost loved ones, because we're all older than we were yesterday. It's a tough thing to think about, but as a Christian, it is healthy to realize and to number your days. You don't want to live in fear because there's nothing to fear for a Christian because death has no sting. But a man is wiser when he realizes that he only has so many days to live. And when he realizes that he will stand one day before a judge. This is speaking about the final judgment. And who is in charge of that final judgment? Jesus. Now, the reason he is in charge of that judgment is because he is God. If he was just a good moral teacher or just a spiritual leader, he would have no right to judge you. But because he is God, he has the right to judge you. Once again, in the, this portion of Scripture, 
he says, the Father has granted me also to be a life giver. He's calling himself a pre-existent life giver. He has the same authority on the same plane as God. And he calls himself the Son of Man. That is not just saying he's the Son of Mankind. He's speaking of Daniel 7, 14. Talking about the Son of Man who will establish his kingdom forever. And this kingdom will not fade away. And every tribe, um, tongue, tribe, and nation will worship him. It's talking about the Son of Man, the Messiah, who will come in power. So I want us to realize that, be encouraged by that, but one day we'll pass from death into life and we will all be judged and we should be tremendously thankful that Jesus is that judge. And I don't want anyone to be in fear because of verse 29. And when everyone rises, it says those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, that can be a scary verse if you don't understand the gospel. None of us are good in ourselves, and so we're not being judged according to our salvation by how many good deeds we have done, but anyone, everyone who has been changed by Jesus does good deeds. That is important to understand that it's by grace, that not, we're not going to be judged, and Jesus is going to have a list. Okay, you've got 522 good works, you're in. You've got 452 sins, you're out. Because those 452 sins, you would have been out last week. We all know the truth. But that's the beautiful thing about judgment. It's based on Jesus' work, not on our work. But if Jesus changes your heart, you do good works because you've been changed by the Almighty God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, how do we apply this to our lives? First, people make two grave mistakes. One is, they hear that God is the judge, and they put themselves in authority over Jesus and say, the God I serve doesn't judge anyone. The God I know doesn't punish anyone. They fabricate their own gods and say, well, I say this is how it is. That's a very dangerous place to be because you have put yourself in authority over Jesus. He has just said that I am the judge and that the Father has granted me the duty to execute judgment overall. That's a very dangerous place to be. And I know in Boston, it's a temptation of us all the time to say, my God, it's not like that. You do not make God in your own image. God reveals himself to us. And it's always just and it's always righteous. Then people go on to make this mistake. And I know this is a tough one to wrestle with. That can't be a punishment. Because if there's judgment, that means there'll be a punishment. My God wouldn't make a place like hell or a place where there's judgment or people pay the penalty for their sin. Once again, you have made yourself more compassionate than God. There's no way you are more compassionate than God. There's no way I am more loving than God. This is the same God that humbled himself and loved the world so much that he came to earth to suffer under the hands of sinful men, to be persecuted and rejected and murdered on a cross and ridiculed for who he was, to die and to rise again for our sins. There is no way that this God hasn't expressed to us and done all he could have done to show us that he is love so we don't have to face that judgment. So I want to encourage you guys to just accept the words of God, understand they're righteous, and live in the truth of them. Secondly, for those of you who believe, you should be tremendously encouraged. And this should cause you to have a deeper love and find a deeper satisfaction in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's not like your sins did not get paid for. 
Jesus paid for every one of your sins. And it was tremendously hard, and he suffered excruciating pain. And he bore the sin that was ours to bear. This was not, it's a free pardon for us. But Jesus paid in his blood. He paid in suffering. He paid in rejection. And he was God. How righteous is that judge? How loving is that judge? And also, we should be encouraged because most of us have a sense of justice. And how awful would it be if we live in a world where people can murder the innocent, oppress the weak, and never have to pay a price for those wicked deeds if they never repent? So unrepentant sinners who reject God, who worship other gods, who declare there is no God, who hurt people, murder people, sin habitually. How awful would it be if there was no judge? If there was no penalty? I hope and I believe because of the words of Jesus, and I know that we live in a world where people will be judged for their wicked deeds and they will not get away with them unless they repent. And still, that's not getting away with them. Jesus paid the price for them. God is judge. That's a great thing because he's a loving judge. Let's worship this God today who took our punishment so that we could be declared innocent. Amen?